This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Resca, and welcome back to the show. All right, Tom, first week of summer. We got this. Sure. <laughs> if you say so. It's been a little... Probably more tiring during the summer than during the school year. I know people always say, oh, teachers have off during the summer. And I guess we technically don't have to go into the building, even though I still want to see, my, see myself there about three, four days a week. But um, Well, you coach, so you're yeah. there all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's part of it. I'm trying to, like, my new thing this year is I'm trying to not open my school email in the summer. Yeah, or at least limit the amount of times I open my school email. Like, I decided I'm going to do that, like, once a week. Once a week. That's the goal. I think that's part of your professional obligation, right? You have to still. Right. I mean, I feel like check. I should do it once a week, right? I mean. Well, sometimes you have students and, you know, if you have like the summer bridge program, like a lot of uh, for uh, APs, a lot of schools have that. True. True. That starts in uh, July for a lot of schools. So I have a lot of students actually reaching out to me and asking me whether there was any summer work for my class. And I'm like, no. Um, it's always good if you uh, know that before the school year ends, but. Yeah, plus summer, like, enjoy your summer. That's your, that's your homework for summer. Enjoy your summer. It is what that'd it is. That'd be nice. That'd, that'd be fun. Right. Enjoy so, the summer. No, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, yes. <laughs> I'm enjoying it, yes. All right. So uh, we are today – well, actually, that's your job. What are we doing today, Tom? Well, based on some, a recent Supreme Court case, we decided to uh, look at basically not just any Supreme Court case because there's so many of them, but like the, the most important Supreme Court cases that really like teens and their parents should really know. Ones that might deal with your rights when it comes to basically school. Um, yes. What, what your rights are when it comes to school because there's a lot of cases that set that precedent, that set what the rules are. And a lot of times students might think, oh, you don't have the right to do that when I actually know the school does, or they might not even know that their rights are being violated in some way that something happened to me is actually unconstitutional. So these are just sort of kind of like a how-to guide or what you should know guide to really help students make them aware of these cases, which really set the policy for most schools and really any public school in the United States. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned this, this idea that parents should also be aware of these things, because a lot of times, first of all, we're talking about Supreme Court cases. So we're talking about the federal government stepping in yeah, this and, is, just trumps everything. That's it. There's no exactly. There's the no Supreme way around it unless it gets overturned, which is probably not going to happen. That's it. It's done. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been decided that pertain yeah pertain to teens um, and, and schools uh, in particular. So a lot of times, as parents, you know, myself and and you're a parent as well, Tom. Like sometimes we're like, oh, you can't do that to my kid, but then like sometimes they can. <laughs> I guess that's the whole premise of today's show is that yeah, there's some things we should probably know about the rights that students or teens have overall um, in the school system. And we're going to be talking a lot about clearly the Bill of Rights, um, the first, not really 10, but the first few of the Bill of Rights. And well, the, the 10th Amendment, Amendment, you have the 14th Amendment. And the 14th is going to yeah. really get in there a lot. So just a quick recap. Uh, the First Amendment is your overall freedom of speech, press, religion, assembly, uh, right to petition the government. It's the most famous amendment. Um, so we are definitely going to be discussing the First Amendment today. Second is the right to bear arms. Not really applicable. Um, third is the protection against um, housing soldiers. That's not applicable. Fourth, we are going to be talking about today, which is the protection against unreasonable search and seizure. That's a big one. And that's a big one. Um, and fifth is protection against travel that 
indictment, double jeopardy, self-incrimination, property seizure, a little bit. Mostly first and fourth. Um, speedy trial, that's your six. Right to be confronted by witnesses, right to call witnesses. That's not really going to pertain to us today. Um, seventh, trial by jury, not really. Uh, eighth actually does come up in some of the cases, and that deals with protection against excessive bail, excessive fines, and cruel and unusual punishment. That's the one that kind of comes up today. Um, ninth and tenth, irrelevant. And the 14th Amendment, um, I feel like that one comes up a lot, right, Tom? I mean, 14th and, and the first. We're already talking about rights um, in any case, not just civil rights, but just rights. 14th Amendment is going to be a major player. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, it guarantees all citizens equal protection of the laws, right? Um, that's one of the main components of the 14th Amendment. Um, it also authorizes the federal government to punish states that violate the that's what basically right. it gives the federal government power to impose these things on the states, more or less. Yep. If so they see, we, if they feel that's unconstitutional. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've never really had anything crazy happen in my school career. Where no, but when you hear some of these cases, some of them sound very simple. Some of them are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this happened." Yep. Some of the other ones sound some sound like almost simple. Hits and it for kind of, Jesus. Yeah. Well, that's one of them. <laughs> But um, and some some other ones though, like they're like they sound almost small. It just balloons, you know, because yeah, I mean, they, if, someone if someone refuses to accept the punishment, which I'm not saying you should never, you know, you should do yeah. or should not do. But then that kind of then gets the ball running in this debate, and then the Supreme Court really has to decide. They they interpret the laws, right? That's what the judicial branch is doing. They're interpreting the laws um, and how, how it should be. What what does the Constitution mean here? And they kind of, and they will set that decision. Plus, we're talking about the Supreme Court here. Like, we're not talking like, oh, little judge or principal is going to deal with an issue. No, the Supreme Court doesn't like. Yeah, that's what's crazy too. Is something like think about it. Supreme Court is hearing cases. These are all cases that were heard in front of the Supreme Court. And the one we're going to talk about first is about Snapchat. Yeah, go ahead. You You want to hear that one? (laughs) And Supreme Court. Well, yeah. Well, this is basically the one that basically sparked our the idea to maybe do this particular podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And it concerns a uh, individual named Brandy Levy. She was a Pennsylvania high school student. And um, she basically, she didn't make the varsity cheerleading squad. She was all upset about that. So she sent out a, well, let's call it a very colorful Snapchat message to about 250 people. And she sent on a Saturday, so school wasn't in session. She sent out at a convenience store that was popular with teenagers in her neighborhood and included an image of her and a friend with their middle fingers raised, um, along with a bunch of... Um, choice words, using swear words about four times, talking about school, softball, and cheer and everything else. Basically, I think the softball coach and the cheer coach might have been the same person, something like that. But she was upset. She was on JV. She didn't make varsity. That's what she was upset about. So what basically happens is they were sent, the Snapchat messages were sent, uh, were uh, meant to vanish, right? That's what Snapchat does. Yeah. I'm not really the Snapchat person, but that's, that's one with the ghost, right? Yeah. I'm still okay. learning this whole lingo. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I yeah, guess I'm not, I'm not okay. hip enough. I know. I know show, showing my age here. Um, basically, um, I'm, I was always saying nothing ever is going away from the internet, even though the, it vanishes at, shortly after they're sent. Another student took a screenshot and showed it to her mother, who happened to be the actual coach. Oh. Right? That was, that was, they were saying, you know, those choice words too. So then the school suspended her. Um, from junior varsity chilling for a year, saying that the punishment was needed to avoid chaos and maintain a, quote, team-like environment, okay? So she does not accept this, and her family does not accept this, so they sue the school district, and they actually win a um, a victory from a divided three-panel um, of United, uh, panel of United States uh, Court of Appeals from the Third Circuit of Philadelphia, and the court said that the First Amendment did not allow public schools to punish students for speech 
outside of school grounds, right? Relying on a precedent from a different era. So that's basically what they say. And then it keeps on, they basically mention another court case that we're going to talk about, Tinker vs. Des Moines. I guess we yeah. should talk about this one first, then get to Tinker Des Moines. I don't know what you want to do with this, Pete. Uh, really? you could, yeah, you, you take it. You take it. You go. You're doing it right. Just go, you want to just stick with this one? or you, what, what, Just go. You want stick to, with this one. Go to Tinker. Go. Okay. Well, wait, I'm confused. Am I going to Tinker now or are we going to wait for Tinker? How, what am I doing with the Tinker? <laughs> you could go to Tinker. Go to Tinker. All right. So let's so get all right. So get a little branch <laughs> off just to understand uh, how every court case right sets a precedent. Tinker versus uh, Des Moines Independent Community School District was a Supreme Court uh, case from the, from 1969. This most recent one, the Levy versus Philadelphia, was actually from um, this year or very, very recent. It was decided in 2020. Yeah, um, yeah Tinker is 69. Yeah, right, Tinker 69. So you think about what's going on in the country at this time. And it's a, basically a number of students wore black armbands to protest the Vietnam War, saying that the students, um, you know, they, they were protesting the war. And the school basically suspends them, right? And they um, that they don't have their freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. Um, but disruptive speech, at least on school grounds, could be punished. Oh, they said they did have that right as long as it wasn't disruptive speech. And that's basically what the Supreme Court said, I believe, right? Yeah. In, in regard to this, that they were allowed to wear it because it was not disrupting the school day. If it disrupts the school day, then that's a whole different story. And there's cases that we'll get to that basically um, deal with that. Yeah, because the idea is that you have a verbal and nonverbal uh, freedom of speech. So in this particular case, when they wore these armbands, this, these black armbands, to protest the war, that was they were exercising their nonverbal freedom of their speech. Their right to silent protest, yeah. Exactly. And the Supreme Court said that the students um, – don't essentially shed their constitutional rights or freedom of speech or expression that when they enter the school, like they still have them as long as their freedom of speech does not disrupt the major premise of the school itself, meaning like why you're there in the first place. So you're in school, obviously to learn, right. And to be safe in a safe environment. So as long as the freedom of speech doesn't interfere with the school's with the mission. School day, because you, you can't something. interfere. The big thing that we're going to see, I'm sorry to interrupt Pete, but the yeah, big go. thing you're going to see a lot this is that if it interferes, you cannot interfere with another student's education. That's what they're looking for. Yep. So if at any time it interferes with another student's education, that's when there's a problem. And that's why it was so interesting with this case. I remember hearing about this right when they said the Supreme Court was going to hear it with this um, Breyer case because she sent it, and they actually mentioned this in the, uh, the court briefs, she sent it to her own from her own personal cell phone to an audience consisting of her private circle of her Snapchat friends. And then someone else takes it and turns it in. So mm-hmm. she was not broadcasting this to the entire school. She did it from a non-school location and she did it from a um, on a Saturday. So school wasn't even going on. Now, if you change this and she does it in school right there and she's screaming at the coaches as the coaches is there, that's a different offense. Yep. Right? But because the Supreme Court ruled that because she was out of school, she, it was not directed at anyone um, directly in the school. She's allowed for that free speech. They did not agree with the language. They did not agree with the tone. But they said that she does have the right to um, say these things. And the listener would hear her criticism of the team, the team's coach in the school. So in order to criticism of the rules for a community, they are allowed to do it. You are allowed to criticize someone else's choice. That You're allowed to do that. You can as long as it does choice. not interfere with work and disorder within a school at the time it's happening. And after the school was arguing, the school was saying, well, no, this was going to disrupt the cheerleading squad going forward, having her on the team. But then you can argue her being suspended is causing that because that's causing all this other 
Uproar, Do yeah. Uh, uproar with it. Yeah. The Tinker de Moise, uh 69, obviously that case keeps on coming back over and over again in American history. In 1986, there was the idea of a disruption test uh, with the Tinker case. The Supreme Court actually upheld the suspension of Matthew Frazier. I don't know if you read about this. A 17-year-old senior um, in Tacoma, Washington. He gave a high school speech, a speech mm-hmm. at the end, graduate, containing like sexual innuendos. He did it. It wasn't a graduation speech. It was like during some kind of event. Um, and obviously got in trouble for it. So the court said that, be you know, it wasn't really what he was saying, but the fact that what he said at that time disrupted the function of public school education, um, it was not okay for him to have the right to do that. So schools, yeah. so schools within a school day have the right to prohibit the use of vulgar and offensive terms in public discourse. Like they could tell you, you cannot curse because they believe that that, you know, could you, actually you do that. Yeah. If you're, if you're standing up and you're cursing in class and screaming out, like, what are you going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to get suspended, you know? They, exactly. And we'll get to a case that kind of deals with that in a minute. So, and, and sometimes so, your students will be like, well, I have the freedom of speech. I can do what I say. And but you, you don't say what I want. No, it's the same thing when they can't work. Like, schools can implement certain dress codes. So you can't have certain language, certain things on your t-shirts, like alcohol, yes. beverages and stuff like that, because, well, no, you're not allowed to have that. Well, why can freedom of speech? It's not the same Thing. And it, what really sets a lot of this precedent, yes, Tinker versus Amoy, but one that I like to talk about, I guess we can get into this one, is New Jersey versus TLO. I'm mm-hmm. sure you saw this one, right, Pete? Yep. Yep, yep. This one is really interesting because this one really, I remember this um, when at prom at my school, at sometimes they would, um, when kids would, if they would pull up in like their own cars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The, the principal sometimes would go, I wouldn't say they would search your cars, but look in the cars and stuff like that to see if the kids, you know, were doing anything crazy on their way to prom and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they can't do that. Or you can't search my locker. You can't search my bag. In this case, it says, no, you can. You, they can do that. So what yeah. basically happened, it was uh, in New Jersey, Piscataway, New Jersey, actually, in uh, 1985, a um, young girl. TLO, Terry was her actual name. She was caught smoking in the school bathroom. Now, sc- smoking back then was actually allowed in the bathrooms. They used to have sections in, in high schools, like a smoking yeah. section outside where you could Even stand when I was teachers. in high school, they had that. Even when and I was like in high school. Teachers and students were sent together to smoke. Crazy. There was still a smoking section, and you were like, ah, you know, and that was, you know, in the 90s. So they still had yeah, it. That was um, next to the payphone, right? <laughs> was there a payphone? I'm sure there was a payphone, yeah. Of course, every high school had a payphone. Now there's yeah. there, there, that doesn't exist. Like, it's not a thing. But basically, the idea was you were allowed to smoke in the school, but you couldn't smoke in the bathroom, right? Yeah. So the teacher goes in there, sees these two girls in there, smells smoke. They're like, what are you doing? The one girl says nothing, and TLL says nothing. The TLL's friend says, oh, we were smoking, right? So like she kind of – so she got sent to the principal's office, and the principal asked to see her purse. And at first she says um, no, and then the other person kind of admits that they were smoking and stuff. So then he does decide to look through her purse, and he just opens up the purse, and the first thing he sees is a pack of cigarettes. So he removes a pack of cigarettes and then he continues to search through her purse where he finds rolling papers, a small amount of marijuana. He finds um, a list of, he finds a whole bunch of one $5 bills, a list of people that um, owe her money and a list of people, yeah, a bunch of notes basically. Yeah. Oh, she was selling in school. A list yeah. of a bunch of people saying, Hey, you know, Terry, can you get me this? Can you get me that? So yeah. it was very obvious she was, de- she was dealing drugs. Uh, marijuana at the school and she had some marijuana on her so so the police were called and she admitted to selling drugs at school after all this happened right Mm -hmm. the case went to trial she was found guilty of possession of marijuana placed on probation she appeals her her conviction um claiming that the search violated her fourth amendment um, protection against unreasonable search and seizures right that he had no right to go through my purse 
because that's my personal item. I, I, I said no. He did it anyway. And she actually wins that in New Jersey court. New Jersey Supreme Court rules in her favor. New Jersey then takes it all the way to the um, U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court uh, rules that – it's an interesting case. They basically rule that – they use the precedent or they're saying that if a parent reads their child's diary, they're not invading their, their, their privacy, right? Mm-hmm. And they said that de facto when the parent – when the students, excuse me, are in school, the teachers are actually the parents. The school system are the parents in a legal sense. That's yep. what they argue, right? And, uh, as, and it goes back to the other thing. If you're impacting the school day – in some way, in this case, selling drugs and school, you can't do that. And the search was legal because even though smoking was allowed, it was not allowed in the bathroom. So that started. So it has to be, um, it can't be arbitrary. They can't just say, hey, you come here. Hey, Pete, come here. I'm going to pat you down. They can't do that. If someone goes to the principal office and says, hey, Pete has a knife on him, now they can go and search you, search your locker, search your car because your car is on school grounds. They can't go and search your house. That's, yeah. not, that's not it. But anything pertaining to the school, anything school property, anything at that school is now considered fair game, basically, to yeah, be served. It's based on this idea of probable cause, though. Like, you yeah. have to prove later it has to be on. Something. It has to be something there. Yeah. You can't just yeah. do it. Arbor- you can't just, you can't necessarily just, uh, every kid in this classroom, I'm going to check. No, there has to be more to it than that. Yep. And uh, well, an talking case. about, like, like, searches and seizures, right? I mean, Think about the one that's a little more recent. You're looking at 2009, um, Safford United School District versus April Reading. So Savannah Reading, eighth grader, um, gets called down to the school nurse. This is in 2009. And a secretary at the middle school in Arizona asks this 13-year-old to basically strip down her bra and underwear. Um, And she said that she was acting on the orders from the assistant principal who had gotten a tip from another student that um, this particular girl was hiding prescription strength ibuprofen pills or something crazy, right? So anyway, they had a zero tolerance drug policy in the school. So they strip searched this girl. She said she was extremely humiliated um, that she was basically strip searched and her and her mom sued the school. So in an eight to one decision, the Supreme Court ruled that the school had violated Reading's Fourth Amendment rights. Absolutely. Absolutely. What would right? make you think that's, I mean, I, there was a case with this too. What? Where the, uh, it's called the McDonald's case, very similar to this. I don't know if you ever heard of it, where okay, someone like no. called, they called like a McDonald's, and it was just this guy who did it. And he basically was telling this this, this guy, this manager, this uh, the girl up front, we think she's stealing, bring her into the uh, room. And he made her strip search. He made her like perform um, certain acts on him and stuff like that. He didn't, it, all because, the guy on the phone was telling him to do it. It went on for like over over an hour, what? making this whole big skin. Well, actually, that's a future podcast. Let's do that. That's a future podcast. That whole <laughs> it was like prank calls, and the guy just got away with making this massive, crazy prank call. But it's similar. Like, what in your right mind would make you think it's okay to strip search a teenager in a school? Like, what? Barely, what? barely a teenager. What even make? Well, no matter who, a well, kid, just in general. Anyone. This is, this, is, this is the thing that's kind of crazy. School officials actually are, according to the court, are allowed. Yeah. To do strip searches, but they, they must consider the factors like the student's age, whether the drugs in questions are dangerous. It depends, on the, to depends on the state justify, too. Sure. Yeah, yeah, justify the search. Like, so I know for a fact that uh, New Jersey, California, and Iowa um, basically passed legislation that prohibits strip searches altogether of students under any circumstances. And Wisconsin went as far as to say that it's a criminal act, so it's not just prohibited, but like you could get you go to jail for even attempting to strip search a student. But I mean, I, I think it just opens the door for so many other 
I mean, forget about just the moral complications of it. It just opens the door for so many things to be liable. Yeah. That that's why most school districts I don't think would do it. I don't think it would be the smartest thing to do. And common sense sometimes has to prevail in these situations. You know, if you really think the student has something on you, most districts are like, oh, we're just gonna call the cops and let them handle it from here, you know? I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Yeah, but uh, did you just read the one about the Shaney versus Winnebago um, County Social Services? I did not see that one. All right, so this is like, we're doing a whole bunch of kids. We're all over the place. We're all over the place. I, I, I yeah, that's all. Yeah, we're back to our roots. Duchenne uh, <laughs> and Winnebago um, County Social versus um, Winnebago County Social Services, 1989. Uh, it's because it kind of deals with like strip searches, like you're talking about in school, and like how that's like, how can you do that? That's insane. Well, this is an interesting issue. The, the issue itself is constitutional rights at home of students. Um, mm. So basically, the bottom line is that the Constitution doesn't protect kids from their parents. So you had this four-year-old boy, uh, Joshua, lived in Wisconsin with his father. The father physically abused him. And at one point, okay. the State Department... I know this case, yeah. Yeah, so the State Department uh, of Social Services takes custody of this boy, Joshua. Um, but then after a few days, they return him back to the father. And then the father beats him again. The boy is hospitalized with bruises all over his body and like severe brain damage, right? He survives, but he's permanently paralyzed and mentally disabled, which is it's so sad and crazy. I can't even think about it. The father is convicted of child abuse, sent to prison. Well, the mom sues the state and department of social services for returning this boy to his father, knowing that this father was hitting this boy in the first place. Um, she argued that the, department had to do, had a duty to protect her son under the 14th amendment uh, which forbids the state from depriving any person of life liberty and property without due process of law well anyway the court rules six to three against joshua's mother um it said essentially that the constitution does not protect children from their parents therefore the government was not at fault in joshua's abuse i'm like i, I thought that was a little odd um the supreme court has Right, the impact is said that the Supreme Court has consistently respected parents' rights to discipline discipline their children. So it's almost like if you hit your child, that's like, well, the court is going to try to err on the side of like, well, we're going to give you the benefit of doubt that that's you disciplining your children. Um, but I think that's though, also, yeah. I mean, they have that. They're going I, to, uh, I think it's also going to be, that's going to be by state, I think. That's, that's what I'm getting to, be, yeah. That's also so the government isn't required. Because the Constitution is federal. We have to keep in mind that, yeah. um, the people, right? The Constitution is federal. So the government isn't required by the Constitution to protect children. But the states assume this responsibility through child protection laws. So the only – it's like even though this went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled like against the mother, that's because the Supreme Court basically said like the federal government's job is not, right, to protect kids from their parents. However, there are state laws – Put that in place could, to do that. That are put in yeah. place to do that. And, that, and that, it obviously failed that boy because yeah, as soon as clearly. there's bruising. Oh, what what was, year was it, this again? 
this is in '89. I mean, this yeah, I, was, I, also, I mean, '89. I know it's not that long ago, but if you really look at court cases, probably in the '90s, definitely in the 2000s. If, if you're leaving bruises on kids, forget about it. Oh, please. Like, nice. there's no way, especially if you have prosecutors that are going to go after that. That's something that's not going to be yeah. tolerated. In the '80s, tail in the '80s, I could see that still kind of being allowed to a certain degree. I get. I. I not saying. Not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying yeah. I can see how. Like kind of like, all right, that's like that's, that's an inside matter. That's a family matter. But the fact that the kid's hospitalized, that right there should just change everything. It's ridiculous. Yep. Four-year-old, well, there's I mean, no since, reason to hit a four-year-old. Absolutely. And I think since we're there, we, we might as well talk about um, Ingram versus Wright, 1977. That's what I want to get to. Ingram Wright. And this kind of sets it with schools, right? Yep. So James Ingram Wright, 14-year-old, was being a little rowdy in his junior high school in Miami. And he was taken to the principal's office. And uh, I guess the punishment was basically he was supposed to be given five swats with a paddle. And he said, no. He's like, I'm not going to let you hit me. And so because he, he said, I didn't do anything wrong. So he was actually held down by other individuals. And the principal gave him 20 swats. Yep. And it was, was pretty – now, corporate punishment was permitted in the school district. But he had such severe bruising that it kept him out of school for 10 days. And he had to actually seek medical attention for his bruising. So yep. it wasn't like he just got – you know, a little bit. And, you know, this is basically corporal punishment in schools. So they sued the uh, principal and the other and, school officials and, and. for criminal punishment. And Supreme Court said no. They actually ruled against James. Yep. They said that reasonable, reasonable physical discipline at school does not violate the Constitution. The Eighth Amendment, they basically said, was designated to protect convicted criminals from excessive punishment at the hands of the government, not school children who misbehave. They did, however, they did direct teachers and principals to be cautious when used restraint when directing whether to administer corporal punishment or not. Because although the federal government's not coming after you, again, a state might do something. Again, you could still, you might not be able to sue the, um, no, the school district, but you can, you could sue the individuals. Yeah. So in the civil case, this is totally different, right? So when I um, read this, I thought it was insane that you could actually use corporal punishment in schools. I, I think that was crazy. Oh, you tell me. I'm sure my father, I'm sure your dad used to tell you stories about going oh, yeah, up yeah, yeah, my dad went yeah. to Catholic school. The nuns would, would would beat you, and then they would call home saying they had to beat you. Then your parents would you know, give you a couple of whacks, too, you again. Why, yeah. did the nun, why did the nun have to hit you? So I actually looked this up when I was, I was researching this, and I'm in front of me right now. On my screen, I have a map of states that allow – Corporal punishment and states which now ban yeah, corporal 20, punishment. 22 states uh, per minute, right, I believe? Yeah. And, you know, yeah, if just... you look at the map, like I'm looking at the color map, essentially the south allows it. The north well, I know, and the west does not. I know Texas actually allows a teacher to have a loaded handgun in class. That's intense. I, I, so, I would I, I imagine that, though. I always I always talk to that about my students sometimes. Like, imagine like the teacher gets all fired up and you're, you're talking too much, but a teacher and your teacher's like, you know, pulls quiet down. And the teacher, well, I guess he's not going to pull it out, but I guess it didn't. Maybe they could. But your teacher, you know, you want to be quiet because your teacher does have a loaded gun right next to him. I mean, I get a Crazy. paper cutting like, class I, and I, I think. You couldn't even think about that. Well, you, you fell down and hurt yourself real bad, right? Didn't you like fall off a chair or something? Yeah, a few times. <laughs> I was in the middle of lecturing once and I like kind of, I wanted to like put my, like scoop my leg under me. So I like shifted over and I fell off a desk in front of my whole class. <laughs> so yeah, this Ingram versus Wright, 1977, basically teachers can use corporal punishment. Now, again, a lot of states have outlawed it, um, but it depends on the state. And you really need to know if your state allows corporal punishment or not. Again, most of the Northeast states and the coastal states probably it's don't really, It's it. almost it's like the Mason-Dixon line. Like if you look yeah, at the map, it looks like a Mason-Dixon line. 
Like if although Virginia, Virginia does not allow it, but North Carolina and everything below does. And if you go out west, you have Kentucky and Indiana allow it. Tennessee, I mean, most of them, most of the South allows it. Again, intense. I I can't. Well, don't 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 be uh, don't do anything silly in those schools. Just yeah. Just, uh, so uh, get. since we're you know, um, I I mean I kind of we're we're all over the place. But Board of Education versus Earls, two thousand two. Do you have that one? Drug well, testing. You, you lead, yeah, the drug testing one. That was interesting. You lead with that yeah. one, Brad. So the drug testing, um, basically, guess what? Schools can drug test you at any point. Yeah. And I, every time students get called down, they're like, you're right. Like, this was really, uh, you know, random. Uh, but but it sometimes is. And actually, it, it is It's random. allowed to be, yeah. It's allowed yeah. to be. And but it doesn't have to be it, just drug. It can also be for steroids. It's any type of drug. That's a big yep. thing, too. It's yep, a yep. steroids um, issue. A lot. Uh, and, but... And, but Basically, what happened here is uh, because I have the same thing. I have students that are, you know, you would never in any way, shape, or form even consider this person to do drugs, and they get called down for a drug tests, and it's like, wait, really? And but I think that also adds to the fact that it is random. Uh, Board of Education versus Earls, two thousand two. Essentially, you have this girl named Lindsay Earls was a model high school junior, right? A member of National Honor Society, school choir, marching band, you name it. Uh, she's in Oklahoma. And she was participating in extracurricular activities that, and because of that, um, marching band in this case, she actually had to get tested for illegal drugs. That's part of the deal when you participate in after school activities. Anyway, she was reluctant to agree to the drug test, but then um, she wanted to participate in, in her club. So she did go and do the drug test. She tested negative, all was well. But then afterwards, she decided that she was going to sue the school district because she felt that she didn't, she shouldn't have had to do that. Um, and she argued that the drug testing policy violated the rights under the Fourth Amendment, which safeguards against unreasonable searches and seizures. Right. Yeah. Also, she uh, rolled in the 14th Amendment and said that um, it went against guaranteeing all citizens equal protection under the law. And the school base says, no, it didn't, because they yeah. say when you voluntarily participate in school athletics or school events like that, you have a reason to expect intrusions upon your normal rights and privileges, including yeah. your privacy, right? So yep. joining a team like that requires getting a physical exam, right? Obtaining insurance coverage, maintaining a minimum grade point average. These are rules set, right, by the, by the state, by the, yep. by the school. And they have to um, basically agree to that, that, the, that students in, um, have fewer privacy rights, basically, when they do these things. It's this thing when I used to teach my students. It's individual rights versus public safety. And that's, it's always this balance. Yes, you might have, as we have higher individual rights, public safety might go down. And as public as uh, public safety goes up, your individual rights might go away a little bit because it's kind of that push and get, that push and pull, whatever you want to call it. So that, that's basically what they're, what they're saying in this case, that they have to keep, the school has to keep the campus safe and keep the student athletes, or in this case, you know, the, um, the, band, the band athletes, the band players safe away yeah. from drugs, away from steroids, whatever that may be. So they, they, you are forfeiting some of your privacy in order to keep the program, the entity of, of the after-school programs is safe. That's basically the argument. Yep. And so just to add to it, the Supreme Court basically rules five to four in favor of the school district, obviously. And they also add that um, take, taking urine samples for illegal drugs is such a minimally invasive if it was blood, that would have been a different case. From what exactly. I because it's so minimally invasive, they said it's a reasonable means of furthering the school district's important interest yeah. in preventing and deterring drug use among school children. So they said it's game. No pun intended. Um, 
you know, if you do sports, you can, uh, you, you, because you're agreeing. But even if you don't do sports, you want to do. anything, 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 can, it's any sort of, um, anything at the school, basically, yeah. Yeah, anything that you do that you, they can be tested for. Yep. And suspicion changes all that. Obviously they can obviously do it. This yep, sort yep, of suspicion. Yep. All right. You got, what else you got? Um, another one that I think is important for all, um, this doesn't necessarily deal with schools, but deals with all teenagers, right? Is the uh, Kent versus United States, right? 1966. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw this one. And this is basically the court case, which um, the bottom line is that teens can be tried as adults. That, yes. that can be wavered. And basically this uh, individual by the name of Morris Kent um, was not exactly a, um, he, he was not a good person, right? No, by any means. I mean. Probation since he was 14 for burglary, for theft, arrested. No, but uh, it was like with- rape. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. From it, robberies, home invasions, rape. Yeah. Um, so he was he was not you know had an extensive criminal history, and um, the lawyer wanted him to stay in juvenile court. Um, and he planned to argue he had a mental illness should be taken into an account. Um, and basically, the judge um, was actually sided with the prosecutor um, and sent him to an adult court. And he was found yeah. guilty and sentenced to uh, thirty to ninety years. years in prison. Yeah. yeah. He appealed saying he should remain in juvenile court. Saying, I'm sixteen. This can't happen. And the Supreme Court actually said that a minor can be tried. And punish as an adult, but certain things have to be have to be put in play here, right? It was the idea of um, they must weigh a variety of factors like the seriousness of the crimes, which you had a whole bunch, the, their extensive background, their mental state, and the age. You're probably not going to trial a six year old necessarily as that, but a 16 year old, it can actually do. And I really, uh, many states, those under 18 can be tried for adults for crimes like as murder, sexual assault, or possession or sale of drugs. You guys should get life in prison. Imagine getting life in prison at 16, like, 15 yeah. years old. But just which has know, happened. It has happened. Yeah, absolutely. And and the point of this case is to really prove that the Supreme Court is starting to write that if you do something really, really terrible, specifically it said with seriousness of the crime, like if it's yeah, something like your age like, is not protecting you. It's not. Yeah, it's not age a jail, not jail free card. It's not. Oh, I'm only gonna. I'll spend two years in juvie and get out. They're like, no, that's yep. not what's going. That's not what's going to happen. Yeah. And that kind of proves this goes all the way back to 1966. Yep. Um, another one that deals with schools, the Santa Fe Independent School District versus Jane um, Doe, um, the religious one, yeah. activity aspect. So that it was a Texas school district that allowed a chaplain. Establishment clause. Yeah. So there was this, it was like a student, basically, that was selected as a chaplain. Um, and he would lead a prayer over the public address system before each home football game. And this was allowed by the, you know, it was actually endorsed by the school. And some parents are like, wait, we can't pray before, you know, through the speakers, essentially, before every football game. Um, They said that, you know, that was going against the First Amendment, which states that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting free exercise thereof. Anyway, the Supreme Court goes to the Supreme Court after some parents sue the school. And basically, the Supreme Court says what we know they're going to say. They said that uh, parents are right, that. The school district's policy regarding prayer is unconstitutional. Uh, even though it's led by students, the prayer was still school-sponsored activity. So it was the idea that because it placed students in a position of having to participate in a religious ceremony if they wanted to participate in school function, in this case a game, that was what made it unconstitutional. So the, the schools could have students pray before each game if they want to. Like if they want to be in the locker room and they choose to pray before yeah, a game. It cannot be school sanctioned because it was put over the PA system and the school knew about it. It was more it was more of a lab. This goes back to like Ingle versus Vital, right? Which is a, yep. our major court case. 
that um, school sponsors of religious activities violates the establishment clause. I mean, you just, you cannot do that. You can't have, you can have a club where they meet, right? But you cannot, it can't but be. But actually the club has to be before or after school hours. Before or so after school, Bible, can't be during school hours. Exactly. Yeah. If you have a Bible club, the Bible club cannot meet during lunch. Like let's say you have like key club and they have like a quick uh, lunch meeting that's allowed. But if you have a Bible club, it has to be, the meeting has to take place before the official start of a school day or after the school day ends. But yeah. um, but that's allowed. I mean, schools have Bible clubs. And they can ask for moments of silence, yes. but not moments of silent prayer. And not also, every school has to supply, or not supply, that's the wrong term, but allow a place for each student to quietly worship. To practice their religion, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're like, hey, you know what? I want to pray at 11 o'clock today. The school has to give you a, a quiet place. By law, where you can play, uh, play, well, pray, not play. Um, okay, so I'm trying to figure out what else we kind of didn't really cover. Here. Oh, it's important. I mean, these is these are what these cases are basically dealing with. But like, they're all dealing with again the individual rights, right? Individual rights and the civil liberties and how they work and how they work. A lot of these cases with juveniles, with teens, and with, um, in, particularly in schools, which is tricky because remember the main point of a school, yeah, is to keep is to educate people, but it's also to keep you safe. And that's where this comes in play, that whole idea of public safety with individual rights. It goes full circle. They have to keep you safe. And a lot of times keeping you safe, keeping these students safe, certain individual liberties could be, could be I don't want to say fully taken away, but are kind of limited a bit more, you know? Yeah. I think one that deals with teenagers, not necessarily school at all, but I think teenagers might find this one interesting, is Brown versus Entertainment Merchants Association 2011. So the Supreme Court heard this case in 2011, and the issue was essentially video games and minors. Uh, and ultimately, what happened is violent video games are protected as a form of expression and speech, very much like books are. So, like books or anything was remember like um, the record, the songs that was always that was a big thing. Right? Yeah. Because the premise is like, think of like the old books, like back in the 50s, like, oh, this is forbidden. And, you know, even going back to 40s and Hitler times Germany, like forbidden books. Um, or well, this comic books. To... Remember that one podcast oh, yeah. about the comic books? Yep. With the, comic, um, with the commission board. So basically what the Supreme Court said is that even though there's a lot of violent video games um, and they've become obviously increasingly interactive, realistic, and their idea was that they could lead minors to commit real-life acts of aggression um, and the games are psychologically damaging to them. Anyway, in a 7-2 decision, the court ruled against... Um, the California, which passed this law that basically prohibited sale of violent video games to Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, or just selling violent video games, period. Anyway, what it said is that video games don't belong in a category of obscene, um, like pornography, for example. So they don't need to be censored. And very much like protected books, plays, and movies that preceded them, which is kind of the idea of like there was movies, like you said, comic books, however, video games essentially communicate ideas, even social messages. So that is a form of expression and freedom of speech, and children can buy them. So what happens now is it's really suggested. It's like suggested for teens. I mean, some states have state laws that enforce it, but federal government cannot... Yeah, there are some that can't buy without parents' permission if you're yeah. not a certain age and stuff like that. But it's just the federal government cannot disallow the sale yeah. of the federal government's not going to pass a law about it. Yeah, exactly. Can't disallow the sale of, of you know violent video games. So there you go. You can't. So 
you can buy your video games depending on the state, but watch that. What's the big video game? Was it Grand Theft Auto? I'm sure that's still yeah, around. Right? I, that's, I guess that's still around. I mean, we used to play that a long time ago. Oh, I'm yeah. like, I'm like all into Red Dead Redemption 2 right now. That's like how I started my summer. It's like I've been chilling for the past week. That's my jam. Um, there you go. There you go. See, see. Um, I mean, playing, there's a couple other ones. Mario World. <laughs> nice. Um, there's a couple other ones. I mean, some are more known than others. I mean, there's Hazelwood School District versus Kuhlmeyer, I think, in 1988. Um, issue was well, we talked about before we talked about the um, – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, mine was like it's student journalism, First Amendment. Schools can yeah. censor student newspapers. That's basically what it's allowed. So if you think oh, I have freedom of speech, I could write about whatever I want in a school newspaper, wrong. The school yeah, has the well, right she, to censor. They were criticizing uh, – if I remember correctly, they were criticizing the school, right, or the principals? They were. Yep. Yeah, and they basically said you can't you can't do that. That's not something that you don't have free speech in school for a school on paper. One, yeah, yeah, but even like if, if you talk about something like a risque, or I don't know, something about teen pregnancy or anything else, really, a school has full right to censor anything that is published through a school newspaper. Um, and it's school not, sanctioned, exactly. It's and it's sanctioned. not offending the First Amendment or anything like that. No. It basically says that the school has the right to edit whatever is consistent yeah. with the um, school sponsor expressive activity. Now the student wanted to just say this herself, right? Going back to that case we talked about earlier, the first one we talked about, uh, Briar versus Pennsylvania, yeah. she'd be allowed to, they'd be allowed to. It just can't be in a school on school sanctioned event. She can put it on Snapchat. That's what they said. You want to go criticize your principal. All right. I guess I can do it on Snapchat as long as it's not at a school event, at a school time, you know, that sort of thing. I wonder how that still pertains to like. I wonder how that works in like the real world. Like, what if I criticize? Like, let's say you are my direct supervisor and I criticize you on Snapchat. What happens then? That's interesting. I think that's different because it's the, the laws are very different for that. Students it probably are... could be. You could argue that insubordination, right? True. True. And then I, could, I mean, there would definitely be a hearing. There would have to be some sort of panel hearing and see what they decide, evidence. I think it's – to make blanket statements is very difficult, right, assessing yeah. anything. You have to really look at the at the, the merits of the case, of the situation. Makes sense. Makes sense. But uh, it would be – yeah, it wouldn't be something I would recommend, obviously. <laughs> and we're not recommending trying or testing any of these things out. Please don't think that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Okay? We're not recommending, you know, to – some teachers, yeah, I'm going to try corporal punishment. Or I'm not going to, we're not recommending you know students to do certain things and stuff like that because you know, this is just to give you an idea of the rights and privileges that exist out there. Exactly. Um, and the court cases that set that precedent made those decisions. Supreme Court again. That's key here. Yes, again, yeah, not just yeah. Supreme Court. That's it. The rule of the land. Law of the land. I mean, if you really think about it, for the longest time, um, as far as the Supreme Court was concerned. Basically, you know, you were like a property of your parents, like as teenagers, as students, like you're, you're not, you don't exist until they started actually listening to some of these cases that the first case was 67, right? Um, the Galt or something, um, in reference to it's by the 15 year old Arizona boy. And basically that ruled that teenagers have distinct rights under the U S constitution, that it's not just, um, adults. Prior to that, the laws generally regarded children as like property of their parents. And then really 69 with Tinker versus Des Moines, um, that's when you have the Supreme Court really kind of listening. Yeah. Tinker, Tinker versus Des Moines is a major case. And obviously, I would say uh, TLL versus New Jersey, obviously yeah. a major case dealing yeah. with the uh, 
free speech and then dealing with unlawful search and um, search and seizures. Those are the main ones. Yep. So this concludes our 49th episode. Oh, 49, wow. Tommy. 49. 49. Doesn't seem like it's one over 45. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Anyway, we have no idea what we're doing next week yet, which is kind of usually how we roll anyway. But next week is our 50th episode, so we should do something uh, something that's worthy of a 50th episode. I don't know. I got nothing. So if anybody out there has any suggestions about what we should do our 50th episode on it, please feel free to contact us. You can find us at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Um, you could also email us at any point from that website. So, you know, find us on Facebook. Just give us some ideas because, I, I mean... Facebook, I, I, Twitter, yeah. Yeah, I have no idea um, what we should talk about next week. I will think of something. We're, you know, we're home well, now. Always do. Always do, yeah. Always do, always do. Anyway, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate it, as always. And I guess till next week. Enjoy, everyone. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast. And if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah. Can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.